Are there nerds here tonight? Nerds! You are a part of the lucky 10,000. With your hosts, Evan. Hey, better me. Maybe you can tell me how to talk to this chick. And Carissa. I'm a big fan of the saying that the vagina is not a clown car. Being a nerd, it's not about what you love. It's about how you love it. Hey, guys. Hey, everybody. This is Evan. And I'm Carissa. And we are The Lucky 10,000, the podcast that gets you luckier than the editors on any modern Adam Sandler movie because they can't be blamed for anything. Uh, can they not? There's nothing they could have done to fix that shit. <laughs> That's a good point. Thank you. And we are coming through the courtesy of Podbean and Stitcher, also through the courtesy of the Tangent Bound Network, and, of course, the Bearded Pods Network, where you can not only listen to us, but Teddy and the Baseman and the Bearded Ones Comedy Podcast. Also, don't forget to look me up on Audible. I have several books there now. Evan Harris, E-V-A-N-H-A-R-R-I-S, and I desperately need the money. And today, we have a first for today's episode. We're actually bringing back a guest. Yay! So, second appearance for a friend of the show with a brilliant idea for us to talk about. Winston, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. And Winston's idea for us to talk about today was something that, you know, it's one of those things where I didn't think I was going to have much content when the idea was first brought to me. And then I started thinking about it and really got a ton of content. It's film inaccuracies. Now, when we say this, we mean it could be editing mistakes. It could be factual information gone wrong. There's a lot. There's a lot that follows under that umbrella. And I, I did, I think, include a couple TV shows. I have a TV show or two in there, too. Okay, and it's not just stuff that's that's wrong, because really, almost no movie gets everything right. No, absolutely not. But it's not. the stuff that they got wrong that just, we can't let it go. Like, it just irritates right. us, and it it's stopped glaring. us from enjoying it maybe the way that we could have if it hadn't bothered us. The thing is that every movie you see, I would be willing to bet every movie you see has a mistake in it at some point. But if everything else is so good, you usually miss them. When it really sticks out, even in great films or TV shows, then it kind of pulls you out of everything that's going on. Because it's all about suspension and disbelief. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times I've been so involved or engrossed in a movie or TV show, and one little thing happens, and I'm like, well, that's not right. And then for the next 10 minutes, I'm going, how did that happen? Yeah. And the real problem that I have with that is not when movies violate actual logic or physics or whatever it's when right. movies violate their own logic or physics if a movie says this is how the world is and then shows right. you that the world is that way and then later breaks its own rules that's what bugs me speaking of adam sandler yeah. um <laughs> did we see did any of you guys see pixels no i refused after oh, i heard no, the one no, review no. <laughs> yeah that was the thing i think we talked about this before it was the first adam sandler movie in years that i was actually like i think i want to see that yep and then i started seeing right. reviews and i was like i don't want to see that and that was a movie that from what i've seen and i've read some very detailed reviews i've seen some online reviews on youtube and things like that they've basically laid out the plot for you so i don't want to be one of those guys that says it fucking sucks and i haven't seen it but i can say definitively speaking it does not follow its own rules or maybe it does because it doesn't seem to have any I think the rule for Pixels was, or Pixel or whatever the fuck it was called, was shit on everyone's childhood. Right. Well, not only that, but then do things that make absolutely no sense. At one point, they become friends with Qbert. Yeah. For no reason, who then turns into a gorgeous human female. Yes, who becomes the literal trophy for the ugly dude. Right. And nowhere had it been mentioned that that was even possible. Nope. Or made any sort of logical sense at all. Now, granted, you're dealing with a movie 
that has video games coming to Earth to destroy it. However, the creativity in film of any storytelling comes from giving yourself parameters and staying within them. Well, like Pacific Rim is a movie kind of like that. I mean, it's giant robots punching yeah. giant aliens. And That's on my list. Is it? <laughs> I, know, I bet I know why, too. Yep, you probably do. But it's still one of the most awesome movies I've ever seen. Oh, it's a ton of fun. But let's, since he is our guest, why don't we go ahead and start with that? Winston, why is Pacific Rim on your list? Okay, well, Pacific Rim, I actually have paired with a specific other movie on my list to contrast them. Because one of them is an example of an awesome, terrible movie. Right. And the other one is an example of a terrible, awesome movie. Okay. I bet I know what the other one is. Let's hear it. What's your guess? My guess is Wanted. No. Oh! No. My gu- I want to guess. I want to guess. Okay. The awesome, terrible movie, G.I. Joe. That's that's also on my list. It, it's actually my special mention at the, at, okay. at the bottom. Yeah, I have one of those for G.I. Joe as well. No, the compare and contrast, Pacific Rim is an amazing, terrible movie. Oh, it's so fun. Interstellar is a terrible, amazing movie. Okay. Oh, I have not seen Interstellar. Okay, well, I'll spoil it horribly if you give me the opportunity. I know a little bit about something that happens to Matthew McConaughey. By the way, anyone listening to this, anytime we mention a movie or TV show, just fucking assume spoilers. Yeah, we're spoiling everything. Everything is spoilers all the time forever. We are talking about all movies and all TV shows ever, and we are spoiling them all for you. You're welcome. Right. So what is is it about Pacific Rim? About Pacific Rim, the the reason that it is an amazing, terrible movie. It's a terrible movie because it has no substance, no right. depth. It is literally just giant robots punching giant monsters. But very well done, giant robots punching giant it's monsters. It's fantastic. That's why it's an amazing, terrible movie. Right. But why the hell didn't you pull the sword out earlier? Yep, that's the one. There you go. Really? It's always amazing to me, and this happens so often in movies, that there is always a weapon, especially in sci-fi, that can level anything and anyone, and no one uses it. Right. No one uses it until... And sometimes you could say, well, they didn't want to destroy everything. But there's also something about a lot of the Star Trek movies I've noticed, because what does everyone say is the best original series Star Trek movie? The one with the whales? No, that's the funniest one. (laughs) That's probably AKA the second the best, best one. It's my favorite. I'm going to go ahead and say, if you polled Star Trek fans of the original cast Star Trek movies, they would probably all say Wrath of Khan. Probably. Which had a beautiful construct of a massive world-destroying weapon that, for tension's sake, at the end of the movie, has a timer on it that the Enterprise has to escape from. And they have taken that and used that trope again and again and again. And in, in Wrath of Khan, it kind of makes sense. In something like, say, Nemesis... Where the villain ship has this massive weapon that takes forever to even get go. He has to position the wings of his ship so that it can shoot this weapon out. It's like Voltron when you're waiting for Voltron. (laughs) When you're actually watching Voltron assemble, you always think, why didn't the bad guy just fucking shoot Voltron (laughs) while he's assembling in battle? It's a trope of anime, especially where, you know, this isn't even my final form. You never go to your your best, biggest, most badass move. You just escalate it one step above. Because if you blow everything up front, then... Yeah, because story. Well, yeah. Well, not just that, but I mean, it's to the point where in at least one anime that I can think of, Bleach, you you can always tell who's going to win the fight ultimately by who's able to save their their, uh, last power-up or who's able to pull out a power-up latest. 
Yeah. The whole anime of Bleach is a series of fight that consists of how how quickly can I make the other person pull out all of their trump cards? Right. Whereas in a real fight, if you had something that could devastate your opponent and you were getting ready to fight, it's like the reason that the Indiana Jones sword fight in Raiders of the Lost Ark works so well is because it's full of common sense that movies don't typically have. Right. Oh, you've got a sword. Guess what? I have a fucking gun. Sword loses to gun every time. So, Winston, I get what you're saying, and I, I mean, we've talked about that before, the saving the sword for last. But then again, I'm used to the this isn't even my final form <laughs> trope, so it didn't right. actually bug me. I mean, the, there's some logic you can try and retroactively apply to it to, ju- sure. to justify it. And the point of the discussion, the, the idea is not that these are inherently things that ruin a movie. Right. No, not at all. These, these are the things that just either during the movie you go, wait, no, wait, hang, hang on a second, <laughs> can we pause? Can we pause here? Or 10 minutes after the movie has ended, you're on your way to the fridge and go, wait a minute. Yeah. Wait, they had that the whole time, right? See, one of the reasons I was worried when this subject came up is I am not detail-oriented. My mind just does not work that way. So a lot of times, if I like a movie, I'm like, throw fucking whatever you want at me. I'll accept it. But then when things are brought to my attention... You know, there is that thing, uh, I don't know if either of you guys have this on your list, but who doesn't love the Avengers movie? It's a fantastic movie. Right. However, why does the Hulk all of a sudden control his rage at the end when the aliens are there? Throughout this whole movie, he has attacked Thor. He's been the scary, the, the best thing about the Hulk and the Avengers was the times leading up to before you saw the Hulk, because even the world's mightiest heroes were terrified of the Hulk. I mean, I think that that can be explained, but the thing that bugged me, the only real thing that bugged me about the Avengers is how they were all talking long distance. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The Bluetooth headsets. That were invisible. Their subcutaneous implants. That occasionally they have to touch to their ear like they're old school Secret Service agents. (laughs) If if S.H.I.E.L.D. can't come up with a technology for unseen Bluetooths in your ear, I don't know who can. And I'm sure that that's exactly what the explanation is. Sure. That's exactly what the explanation is. But it was still weird because they're all just talking. And then occasionally one of them, usually Black Widow, would put her hand on her ear like she had an old school Secret Service earpiece in. And it's like, really? If you hadn't drawn attention to it by holding it to your ear, even though it was fucking invisible. Right. I would never, I probably would never have questioned it. I didn't until I saw someone else question it. And then I went, oh, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. I'm not detail oriented about these things. If I love a movie, you just give me that first spoonful of chocolate pudding. That's the best chocolate pudding I ever had. Then five more spoonfuls of shit can pass through my gullet before I'm like, (laughs) hang on. Okay, so we got Pacific Rim, an awesome, terrible movie. And it is he brings up a totally valid point, but that movie gets away with it. Because you, it's exactly like Winston said. Everybody involved with that movie knew they were making a B movie that didn't necessarily need to make sense. They just needed to make it technically good and fun, and they did. It, it was a B movie that elevated itself to an A movie. I mean, yeah. it was it was just amazing because at no point did it stop to take itself serious. Exactly, exactly right. Yes, and that is a huge problem when movies can't find that balance. Because you need the characters to take the situation seriously. Because if they don't believe in what's going on, fuck it, why do I care? Sure. But one of the one of the many problems of Transformers is you kind of think Michael Bay wants you to leave the theater going, I have a new philosophy of life. <laughs> I didn't actually get that impression. Maybe because I went into it thinking, this is a huge summer blockbuster about toys. Right. And it was awesome. Like, I loved Transformers, and I still do. That's why you should have had Guillermo del Toro direct Transformers. <laughs> 
I, you'd have been I like, would pay to these see monsters, these robots fighting each other. Why don't we do that? I don't know what fucking accent that was. <laughs> Apparently, it was Guillermo del Toro. It was not. I don't know who would, wouldn't have known that just from listening. Right. So clearly him. All right. So after Pacific Rim. My, my pair to that is Interstellar because Interstellar was an awesome movie. It had an amazing soundtrack and character depth and has you really thinking about what it is to be human and to exist in, you know, four dimensions and all of that. And the thing that just broke my suspension of disbelief in the middle of the movie and just stopped me from being able to pay serious attention to it for the rest of the movie is relatively early on, they're at a world in interstellar space through this wormhole where because it's so close to a black hole, relativistic time dilation is occurring and they know that time down there is passing extremely quickly relative to time outside of the planet's gravity. So if you go down to the planet... Every hour you spend there is, you know, 16 years outside. I forget what the exact ratio is, but it's a really long time. So they need to go down, do their check, and come back as quickly as they possibly can. What they're checking for is this beacon that's been making regular reports for 13 years saying, hey, this planet is worth checking out. It might be able to host the uh, population of Earth. I do get the feeling from what I've seen of Interstellar. And, you know, sci-fi in general, it seems like every movie of 2001, any movie that has a half a brain is always like, oh, this is this generation 2001. Seems like from what I've seen of Interstellar, it is really like, no, no, we really want to be 2001. Yes. Oh, without question. But the thing is, so I've just told you two facts. One, they've been receiving a a broadcast of a signal from this planet for 13 years or whatever saying, hey, come check this planet out. And two, time passes much more quickly on that planet such that for every hour on the planet, 18 years or whatever have passed off of the planet. Okay. So they decide to go down and check it out, only to discover that, hey, the thing that's been broadcasting from that planet has been broadcasting for less than an hour. Oh. Who on Earth could possibly have seen that coming? Me. Me on Earth. Certainly not the (laughs) nuclear and astrophysicists who were specifically (laughs) chosen for their understanding of relativistic time dilation to be on this mission, who have made it their life's mission and were specifically selected to go out there and check out all of these planets. No, not them. Me. It was me. I figured it out. Did it take you long? No. There is a problem inherently in trying to make a twisty-turny plot where you're supposedly surrounded by brilliant people. Yes. And this isn't even like uh, no one could possibly have seen this coming. Right. This is like, like should be common sense for these guys. Yeah. Like this is specifically the science in which you are experts. This is like your. This is what they're supposed to be doing. Yes. And you didn't go, wait a minute. Wait, hang on a sec. Before we land. Let's do a little quick run of math. Right. Simple math. Like, this is basic algebra. This isn't advanced calculus. We're five minutes from touchdown on this planet. Does anybody have an abacus, at least? Yeah, anything? Like, just some scratch paper? Or common sense? So that just really threw me off kilter for the entire rest of that movie and made it really difficult to enjoy what might otherwise have been a beautiful and moving film about character development and people making personal realizations and with a fantastic soundtrack but it's like you know this is forrest gump 2 this is a beautiful movie about a retarded person right you know it's funny again i haven't seen interstellar yet so i'm going to take your word for it that that should have happened i probably wouldn't have realized that had i been watching that movie again if the rest of it is so good i'm like yeah okay it's been going for an hour great 
I mean, there there were some other issues with it that honestly, I forgot some of the other issues with it after hitting that one because it's like, yeah, you know, they're eating only corn and have all kinds of problems, and that's the only crop they have because of reasons. Yeah. But I can let that slide because they said so and haven't shown anything that explicitly says that can't be the case. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm still going to watch Interstellar and I guarantee I'll probably enjoy it on some level. But when that moment happens, I'll be like, "Mm, that's what Carissa and Winston said. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What's what's your you know, for me, when we talk about inaccuracies again, because I'm not really good with details like in a play, even I'll be rehearsing a play for weeks. And then all of a sudden go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm very much a big picture person. So when we talk about movie inaccuracies, I do want to get into the mistakes because I think there are some that I just don't understand how they got past so many people. And I want to start with a movie that is actually near and dear to my heart. The problem is most of the movies on my list I have some sort of attachment to and love very deeply. Well, yeah, uh, me too. If, if you don't like the movie, you probably didn't pay enough attention to catch right. the specific details right. bug you otherwise. Right. You have to have you have to be passionate about the product to go, but that's wrong. Now Steven Spielberg himself has come out and said that he does not think Hook is a good movie. Which I is disagree. Bullshit. Sir. Hook is a great movie. Oh, it's amazing. I love Hook. However, I love Hook, honestly. Steven Spielberg apparently. I uh, well, yeah. Screw that guy. I adore Hook. The there are a couple of problems with Hook. A, I think Hook represents the very best and the very worst about Spielberg in one tight package. Yes. And this is just storytelling. I remember seeing that movie for the first time. And when the music started playing in the kids' bedroom and the camera pans over the 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 picture of the pirates and the music is building and building and the doors burst open and that light's coming in, you're just like, fuck yeah, I got chills. And when they have that beautiful sequence where Shmi is getting the hook and taking it to the captain, and it looks like it's all one shot. I could be wrong, but it looks like it's all one shot where the music starts and then it keeps building and building. And by the time it's at its crescendo, you see this beautiful set of a ship and pirates dancing everywhere. So it's it's got that grandiose, childlike, because Spielberg is almost always at his best when he's working in the world of fantasy. And there's just so many beautiful moments in Hook that I ignore the shit that sucks. Also, though, very much showcases his over-sentimentality when in the middle of Peter Pan's brilliantly choreographed sword fight with Hook, they have to stop so everyone can literally say, I believe in you. I believe in you, Peter. Yeah. I believe in you. That's when I was like, oh, Steven. <laughs> However, I got over that because the rest of it was just so good. Dustin Hoffman, fucking no one else should ever play Captain Hook. <laughs> Him and Bob Hoskins' relationship, no one else should play those parts. They're done. It's like no one else should play Frankenfurter. No one else should play Hooker Schmee. They're done. I have bad news for you. I know. I don't <laughs> want to talk about that because okay. it's not happening. Okay. <laughs> However, there are some serious technical flaws in that movie. And there's one that gets me every time I watch it. And I don't hear many people talk about it. So I'm just going to bring it up. Editing. What's that? Yeah. Because there's a moment and it's never been more obvious to me than and he's a master filmmaker. Like, I don't give a shit what you think. Steven Spielberg still can make brilliant movies. I think it's because he's so celebrated that some people have gone. No, he sucks. He's overrated. No, you're stupid. (laughs) <laughs> because he can still make beautiful movies. Everyone has a, a a slide here or there, but he can still make gorgeous, wonderful movies. However, in the scene when Peter gets hit on the head by the baseball that his son has hit from the baseball game, it clearly shows him getting hit on the head, falling to the ground, 
and there is literally nothing around him but grass. And then, without even cutting away to something else and then cutting back, a pond appears beside him. As if, just for a second, the pond was like, oh, fuck, I haven't hit my mark. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you see, in Never Never Land... Well, there you go. That's all you have to say. Because it's Never Never Land. It's magical. Every time a child laughs, a fairy is born... Every time a child is potty trained, a pond appears in Never Neverland. Right, exactly. And that just always stuck out to me. If you start talking about mistakes in movies where, like, someone has a cut on their head and it's on the right side of their head, and right. then three times in the scene it goes to the left side, and yes. then the right side, and then the left side, and then the yes. right side, those happen constantly because they Thank either you. flip the film or they did takes on, like, 17 different days or whatever right. and makeup just got it wrong or like, whatever. Like, don't get it wrong. I understand at least to a little extent that making movies is fucking hard it is not an easy thing to do but at some point in the editing room couldn't someone have gone hey was that pond there two seconds ago right because he had to look into it that was the thing it had to be there because that was the next thing that was going to happen yeah could they have just had robin williams like crawl towards the pond a little bit instead of like it just being right there well no that's one of those things that I kind of go, how did that get past so many people? Yeah. What they don't show is him uh, being knocked mostly unconscious and then just floating with his latent flying powers. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. Or rolling down a hill that was also not there. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, never mind then. Hook is a perfect film. There you go. Happy I could help. All right, let's move on to Carissa. Carissa, what you got? Oh, I have so many. I'll start with the very broad. Basically, any movie or TV show ever, except John Wick, (laughs) anytime anyone cocks a double action revolver. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, unlimited ammo is a thing that they they do. And that's a secondary gripe for me. I do count, but it usually doesn't. I don't get hung up on it, but I do like very Rain Man-esque, I count shots. Yeah, but when you have a revolver in a movie where you can actually physically count how many bullets it should have by the character holding it in front of you, you should probably try to get it right. Well, yeah, it's especially like, that's the type of gun that I know. I know that it can hold this many or this many bullets. Right. And you have shot three times that many bullets without reloading. That's bullshit. But that's not my gripe. My gripe is actually the unnecessary hammer pull or or shotgun pump just to get the scary click. Right. It's fucking ridiculous. Guns don't work that way. And when you do that, you have ruined the round in the chamber or jammed your gun. Or, or just ejected a perfectly good ejected show. Ejected a mean, perfectly good round from your gun. Like, it's completely ridiculous, and it bothers me every fucking time, and they all do it except John Wick. And I can't stand that they do that. By the way, I haven't seen John Wick. Is it good? Oh my god, you have uh, to see John Wick. Do we need to pause for an hour and a half or so? <laughs> Is it really that good? It, you have to see it. It's, a, it's amazing. Okay, good. Just, okay, moving on. I just wanted to make sure. Okay, so that was my very general gripe. It happens pretty much anytime there's a gun. Yeah. Someone will, will cock it. Un- Guns are such a problem in movies in general because they are the easiest trope to go to. Because you either have the overuse of ammunition, the cocking for no reason, or the hero running out of bullets at exactly the right moment. Don't forget the um, taking cover behind anything that automatically stops bullets. Right. Oh, yeah. Your milk crate, car door, cow. Yeah, we call this the equilibrium. Human body. Yeah, right. It's just, it's stupid. But yeah, the unnecessary cock is my big general gripe about guns. I think unnecessary cock should bother everyone. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Again, no dick pics, please. (laughs) So my specific, my first specific one is in Shawshank Redemption. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Which, and really, most of the movies on my list are good movies. Most of them. Yeah. And this is only bothersome to me because of how blatant it is. Right. And it was admitted by the director as a cheat for effect. Right. But after Andy escapes through his hole. Yeah, I know where you're going with this. He's gone. And then the warden comes in the next morning and rips the poster off the wall over the hole. Yes. The poster, which is hung up on the wall by all four corners over the hole. Yes. Which literally impossible. Clever yeah, suspension because... of pulleys and chewing gum. Yeah, right. Yeah. Andy was a smart dude. He could have figured something out. He was not Mr. Fantastic. Bribed to guard. <laughs> Do we know that the bottom corners were taped or pinned down? Yes, because they stayed on the wall after he ripped the top off. Oh, because I remember hearing about that and going, well, what if the bottom corners just weren't tied down? Nope. It was stuck to the wall on all four corners. And it, I mean, I get it. And in the moment, like the first time I saw it, it didn't, I don't remember it bugging me, but I've watched it several times since then. And, and yeah. every time since then, no one had to point it out to me either. It's just like, hey, wait, who hung the poster back up? Right. No I'm one hung the poster back up. I, I'm going, this, this is the other half of this episode is us all trying to justify it so that our favorite movie don't get ruined. <laughs> he had a stick with gum on it and he had two thumbtacks that he put on the end of the stick and once he went through he slid them through the hole on the outside of the poster and just so and just quickly flicked the stick down stuck the thumbtacks in and he's off on his fantastic journey i'm gonna and he all and he did that all you know with his head pointed in the other direction and couldn't possibly turn around. I kind of like the bribe to guard one. That's a good one. Yeah, I tend to overcomplicate. <laughs> <laughs> you? No. Never. All right, Winston, sir, back to you. Okay, so I'm going to bring up one of my favorite films of all time. Mm -hmm. A definitive genre and trendsetter that redefined special effects and sci-fi movies for all of the time since it came out. Do you know what I'm talking okay. about yet? Uh, I'm going to guess 2001. The Matrix. But maybe, oh, The Matrix. Yes. Because it's a it's a great movie. But there oh, are awesome. so many things that just, in retrospect, had me going, wait, why didn't they just do this? Or wait, yeah. why didn't th these other people just do this? Let's start with the one that ever, everyone always loves to bitch about, which is the humans are batteries. Right. Humans are net consumers of energy. And right. if the robots have the technology necessary to even just make us energy neutral so that we don't cost more energy to maintain than we do to uh, create and have around. Um, they they don't need us because they can presumably do that for themselves. <sighs> right. But even if they don't, it's the whole combined with a form of fusion thing. Well, if they've got a form of fusion, again, why do they need us? Right. So that that one's kind of the, the low-hanging fruit. Everybody's heard they that. They used fusion at first, and then they said, hey, we got these humans lying around. That would be easier. Well, why do they have the humans lying around? Because they were... It's like when you have old batteries in your house and you forget <laughs> that you have them. <laughs> the robots were looking through some dishes on top of their refrigerators, and they went, hey, we got some batteries laying around. We could power that flashlight now and don't have to go to the store and buy new ones. So, so my personal theory, they, there is the, um, the I don't even want to call it a fan theory, because apparently it's confirmed in <laughs> interviews with some people that the original script for The Matrix, they weren't using humans as batteries. They were using us as a giant distributed computational neural network. Which I like way better. I do, too. My personal theory instead is that the, hu is that the robots were bored. Okay. And that humans, they use us not as a form of battery, but as a form of entertainment. Yeah, we are, I'm we are their ant farm. Hey, why not? 
Are you going to get to have some fun too? Are you going to get to the to my gripe? You know what? Let's get that one out of the way because you need your moment to shine for that. Go ahead. I have one major gripe with the Matrix, and we're just talking the first Matrix. Yes. Okay. This was in the first one, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Is that the Sentinels? Is that what they were called? Uh Yeah. The squid ones. Yep. Okay. So the Sentinels, the little squiddy things in the sewers. Dozer explains to Keanu that they were built for one purpose. One purpose. Their one purpose in life. Singular. The one thing that they were built for was seek and destroy. Their one purpose was two things. He meant the song by Metallica. No. (laughs) No, that's exactly what he meant. They just like to listen to that song. That's all they were built for. They're just going around the sewers with their sonar up so they can hear it. Yeah. So to see if it's playing anywhere. Yeah, which is a singular thing. The song (laughs) Seek and Destroy. (laughs) That irritates me so bad. I know it did. Because it's so fucking cliche. They were built for one thing, which is cliche in the first half. Seek and Destroy, which is cliche in the second half. But it's a cliche that contradicts the first cliche to half of your state. Fucking, they were built for one thing or they were built to seek and destroy. It wasn't both. Right. Okay, so that was my gripe about the Matrix. The first Matrix, as much as I do love it, wasn't without some cheese. It did kind of hit me the wrong way when Trinity took the moment at the end when the Sentinels are ripping their ship apart to tell an unconscious Neo that she loved him and kisses him. Granted, the power of love brought him back to life and made him the one. But that moment has always struck me as I don't think it came across the way the Wachowskis intended. It's not necessarily one that fails logic, per se. It's just sort of unnecessary. For one thing, it does bug me when people have to say what they're thinking instead of just doing something. And that is one problem that the Matrix movies and the Star Wars movies, especially the prequels, have a lot of, is instead of just letting the audience be smart enough to figure out that this is what's going on, you literally have to have the character stop in the middle of a moment that really should be all about, oh, fuck, we're about to die, to go, everything's going to slow down for a second. Let me just so exposition make... all over the place. Yeah, and right. get, like, sparks and stuff. Yeah, because, really, those Sentinels could have gotten into that ship way faster than they did, and everything literally slowed down enough for her to make the most cliched, unemotional speech you've ever seen. Yep. Another problem with the Matrix movies, for characters that are supposed to be so passionately in love, I'm not seeing a whole lot of passion when everyone is directed to speak in monotone the entire time. However... I still love them. All right, Winston, what else? Okay, so they tell us, we are informed through the the exposition of Morpheus, that we look like what we look like in the Matrix because it's the uh, digital image of our mental self. Wait, no, actually, they say it's the mental image of our digital self, which yes. doesn't right. make any sense. No. Leave that particular word swap aside. At least have Joe Pantilano cr- correct his teeth. So it's the digital image of our mental self. Yes. So why is it that they go and recruit people or find people who have sane self-images? Why don't they start, why doesn't the resistance, the red pillars, start recruiting people from insane asylums, unjack <laughs> them from the Matrix, jack them back in, and the Matrix, or, and the agents are no longer fighting Neo with his newfound knowledge of Kung Fu. They're now fighting a 12-foot-tall were-wildebeest who fires energy bolts from his hands. <laughs> Seriously, right. that'd be that's, badass. That's what the dude thinks he looks like. 
Well, and that was one of the problems of I think one of the reasons people were disappointed with the sequels is what the original movie promised and even what the sequel promised that just kind of didn't deliver on. When you got that speech from the Oracle in Reloaded where she talks about ghosts and vampires and werewolves, that set up what could have been an amazing second half of that movie. Yeah, and why why are the programs the only ones that have those? Why doesn't the Resistance have some? Well, and not only that, but if you are a secret clandestine organization that whose whole purpose is to blend in because anyone could be your enemy. I'm not saying their wardrobe wasn't kick-ass because I would want to dress like that if I wasn't worried about hiding from everyone else on the planet. It is a little conspicuous. Like, at, at this point, the agents just need to go into every raver club in the world and just start killing people. Or taking over the people that are still connected into the Matrix at those raver clubs. Because at some point, they're going to hit a resistance fighter. Because that's apparently where they all hung out in bondage suits. So, yeah, just fucking look like normal people. But if you did that, you wouldn't look as badass as they did. Yeah, somehow I think that Neo dodging bullets in his tweed professor's jacket with patches <laughs> on the elbows... <laughs> Would just not have quite the same impact. <laughs> it, it certainly would not look as cool. Neo flying away from Agent Smith in that awesome priest robe. It just doesn't have the same effect in <laughs> jeans and a hoodie. <laughs> all right. Is that all of the Matrix or do you have more? Oh, there's got to be more. Oh, there is. But whether or not it's worth bringing up. I mostly left aside the sequels because there just wasn't any yeah. point in bringing them up and breaking them down. There, Agreed. There were so many awesome action sequences and so many logical flaws and problems and just no, sure. wait, that no, no, that it just it wasn't worth it. I'm trying to think of what else there was from the first one specifically because I had something else. But if it's important, it'll come back to me. And if it's not, sure. it's not important. Cool. Well, and going back to the more obvious mistakes, this one's going to hurt. I've been petitioning Carissa lately to do an episode just on Firefly because I finally fucking caught up on Firefly. And without going into why it took me so long, I will just say that, like everyone else, I loved Firefly. However, they had one of the most glaring mistakes I've ever seen in anything. Do tell. In In the episode where Mal is getting tortured, if you remember that episode, he and Wash are getting tortured by the old creepy guy. If you, who have seen it about 28 times, remember that episode. From the yeah. so many episodes of Firefly, right. <laughs> I realize that there are so many that it's difficult to recall That's any true. given individual episode. But deep if history. you do. That show has such a deep, deep history. It's like Doctor Who. I mean, really, if I say any episode, you're going to go, hmm, was that from season three or season 57? Right. Mal gets his ear cut off. Which, at first I saw it, I was like, that's fucking hardcore. But just for a second, they put the wrong ear on. Just for a second, it's his left ear that gets cut off. And just for a second, they have a shot where it looks like his right ear has been cut off. And then his left ear is magically cut off again. Yeah, film flipping. Because I remember watching that episode going, oh, did they cut both his ears off? Oh, fuck. And no, it was still just the left one. But just for a second, either the makeup people got it wrong or it was like a reverse shot, which they do do sometimes. Film flipping. Yeah, film flipping. I don't know. But that I caught that and it took me out of it for a second. That's all. That's all about Firefly. Other than that, it was like the most perfect show ever. Yes. With one exception or with with one flaw, rather. It stopped? Yes. Yeah. 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 That is a huge flaw. Fuck you, Fox. Right. Okay. I'm going to also come up with some something from a science fiction film that kind of solidified the genre and was a trendsetter for all movies to follow it. Mm-hmm. 
So Luke goes to Obi-Wan's place in A New Hope. Yes. And this is the only Star Wars thing I'm going to gripe about because the rest of it, I just, it's either the prequels, which we've already talked about, or it just didn't bother me. It never has bothered me. But this has become a meme recently, and it has bothered me since before it became a meme. Right. More it makes me giggle. But Luke goes to Obi-Wan's place. Obi-Wan hands him the lightsaber. He is handed the deadliest weapon in the galaxy, and he immediately points it at his face. Right. (laughs) And that's it. That's my only real gripe. And it's always made me giggle just a little bit, because that's exactly what happens. And that's not something you should do. But you're an idiot farm boy, so whatever. Right. But it's always made me giggle, and th- that has popped up as a meme recently, and I've I've been giggling about it since then. And Obi-Wan is just, funny. Just and, you sitting know, there thinking, the Force is fucking strong in this one. Right? <laughs> I would just love that, because, you know, Alec Guinness was so good about just being cool about everything. Like, his voice never kind of raised above, like, you know, room temperature voice. And I would just love that moment where he hands Luke the lightsaber, and then sits back, because he's the future of the Jedi now. He's like, whoa, 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 what the fuck? You know, this this is our future now? Yeah. Yeah. This weapon is your life. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Unless you point it at your fucking face, retard. Yeah. So, lightsaber safety 101. Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> well, maybe Obi-Wan should have said as he handed it to him, this is the hurt part. The this side to is the other man. Yeah. This side is Bernie's side. Yes. Because, you know, Luke didn't know. He was like, oh, cool. It's a thing. Let me look down the barrel of the deadliest weapon in the galaxy. Is it a power converter? <laughs> it's the Tashi Station. All right, so that's my Star Wars thing. Winston, your turn. Okay, Independence Day. Aww, oh really? I mean, it's, it's an easy one. Do we? Is there any way for us to not predict what you're about to say? No. Okay. But seriously, how the fuck do you hack the alien <laughs> the alien spaceships with your Mac? Your your fucking yeah. MacBook? What? No. How? No. I have another one for Independence Day, actually. Okay. That just sprung to mind based on this conversation. Again, it wasn't something that I noticed the first time I saw the movie because I was all like, aliens, cool. Jeff Goldblum, cool. Data, cool. However, in the interest of moving a story along, just to get to the action sequence that we're all waiting for, they give us the most shoddy reason as to why Will Smith should be the person to fly this ship. And his explanation is, and I'm, I'm being totally honest here, I didn't realize this until I was watching a clip, a hilarious clip, by the way, from Opie and Anthony, where they talk to Patrice O'Neill, God rest his soul, about Independence Day. And Jim Norton says their explanation for why Will Smith, of all, hey, this one ship has been down in fucking Area 51 for what, 30, 40 years? And they want to fly it up and put it into the mothership to insert it with that ridiculous virus idea. And Will Smith, they're like, who can fly this thing? And Will Smith, I'm well aware of their maneuvering capabilities. Bitch, I've seen planes fly. Doesn't mean I know how. <laughs> I've got and like 30 never... hours in Microsoft Flight Simulator. I'm probably good. Right. And granted, he was a pilot. Yeah. Which is a plus on his side. This is alien technology. I mean, okay, really bitching about Independence Day seems like significantly low-hanging fruit. But the thing about the Mac and the virus is whatever, reverse engineering the binary code that led him to the timer countdown in the first place. So, okay, Mac books aren't really good for that, but whatever. He's a genius. He's Jeff Goldblum, and he could totally do that. And piloting a fighter jet is really complicated. It is. And I would imagine that at least some of that knowledge could translate to piloting a craft that you don't 
that you aren't actually familiar with. That's never been flown by a human before and I mean, is manufactured to be flown by multi-tentacled aliens. Yeah, they, that's the part of that that gets me, is the, um, okay, uh, Will Smith, w- uh, go ahead and pull out your other arms now. Not to mention the fact, again, from Opie and Anthony, but I think this always bothered everyone. How the fuck does Will Smith knock that one alien out for that long with one punch? When it's not even, this is Patrice O'Neill, he's not even hitting the alien. He's hitting the alien's suit. Because the big aliens that you see, that's oh, right. yeah, armor. Okay. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I think that it's kind of like how football players get concussions even though they have helmets on. Or like how uh, boxers are more likely to get concussions because they're boxing because with gloves. Because of gloves, exactly. Sure. Yeah, let's just go with that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Independence Day. Interesting. Evan? You know, I have actually a ton more on my list, but we've already been talking for almost an hour. Uh, we're going to keep talking because I got a long ass list. Well, I, I, I mean, I some of mine, some rapid fire on mine, yeah. and just yep. fire yeah, we may want to we may want to get to the rapid fire section because I'm saving one thing very specifically as the biggest pet peeve I have in film. Period. But yeah, just real quick, one rapid fire is in a more positive light since we already mentioned Star Wars. What I do love is when a filmmaker of all the fucked up shit that George Lucas has done. One thing that I do love that he did was he actually gave the stormtrooper bumping his head into the door on the Death Star a sound. There's one change he made to the original trilogy that I'm very happy about where he acknowledged and noticed that there was a mistake and he actually put in the sound of the guy's helmet banging against the door. Okay. Okay. Just a positive. Just throwing it out there. Positives are boring. All right. My turn. Uh, mine is, my next one will be Gladiator. Okay. That's oh, on yeah. my list too. That was is on it? my list. Yep. Okay. I have a few. <laughs> yes. We can just all go around and list our Gladiator I mean, ones. come on. Here are the few that actually get me. At the beginning, Quintus tells the execution squad to fire their bows. Mm-hmm. Uh, the term fire didn't come about until <laughs> firearms. So what you yeah. mean then is loose. Loose. He would have said yeah. loose, not fire, because they didn't fire. Or just unleash hell. Just say that every time you want somebody to shoot arrows, because it's badass. In the whole opening battle, the way that that was choreographed, I suppose, were it was so incorrect. Legions did not break format at first contact like that, right. ever. That's just not how they fought. They never threw their spears. They totally did. They totally had specific sets of spears that they carried for throwing no i know in the movie oh yeah yeah, okay okay they never threw their spears they just kept them or dropped them which is not how they use spears in reality that's why he was such a revolutionary general because he was like you know what fuck all that we're gonna do our own thing in the movie they broke out into random brawling which would definitely have caused the legion to lose because they were vastly inferior man-to-man fighters than the barbarians they were fighting and that's not how they fought they weren't mm-hmm. trained to do it that way. So that entire first battle was completely ridiculous. But awesome. Uh, I guess. Was that the same uh, battle with the Greek fire? Yeah, the Greek fire. Yes. Yeah, that, that was my thing was the, no, that's uh, that's gasoline. Yeah. That's just exploding <laughs> and burning because it's gasoline. Yeah. That's that's not Greek fire or anything like that. It, no, 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 no. And the Coliseum had a bunch of, other than the dude in the cowboy hat and the t-shirt, right, right. They had, <laughs> there were also, it was mixed gender, but mixed gender crowds at the Coliseum weren't a thing. Right. The Vestal Virgins could be near the people who could contact Vestal Virgins, but women would be in the top level segregated from 
the other Colosseum goers. They didn't just hang out with their men at the fights. That was not a thing that happened. So the fact that there were all these well-dressed ladies around was just like, uh, what are you fucking doing here? (laughs) And the one that kind of cracked me up a little bit was that the slave gladiators, as opposed to the gladiators by choice, didn't get cutlery in reality. But what's his name? What's his name's friend or whatever had like a fork or a spork or something he was eating with. It was silverware. Right. Uh, Well, shivs have been a thing since imprisonment. And slaves don't get things that can be made into shivs because shivs are a thing. Chris, can I stop this whole conversation for just a second? Yeah. Are you suggesting, and correct me if I'm wrong, but are you suggesting a film about a historical event was somehow portraying that history inaccurately? A historical event which never happened. Yeah, a fake historical event. Uh, We haven't even gotten to Braveheart yet, so yes. Oh, what do we even need to get to Braveheart? Yes, because we do. none of it happened that way at all. <laughs> Not we'll a get there. goddamn thing in Braveheart. That's what I love is like all the people that like got so romanticized by Braveheart. They're like, I'm gonna be William Wallace. They're like, Yeah, William Wallace did like one thing and then he was kind of a coward for the rest of his life. <laughs> all right. Winston, you're a gladiator? My you've already covered most of my gladiator. The okay. the only other thing that I really wanted to cover that really just irritated me, especially given how early in the film it happened, was the Greek fire that wasn't yeah look i still love gladiator for the most part there is in my camp of the big like technical mistakes do you guys know about the whole chariot problem yes yeah okay if you don't know if you're listening to this at one point in a very awesome battle sequence one of the chariots falls over and no one decided to cut before you could see the tanks underneath the chariot that were actually powering the entire mechanism no those weren't powering it those are nitrous boosters for the horses yep oh well Again, thank you. <laughs> thank you for correcting me. You're right. They had that. Yeah. I, that the Greek works. fire and the nitrous. Yes. For the horses. Nitro, I mean, not nitrous. Although, hell, to miss that mistake, you may have been on nitrous. All right. Winston, next rapid fire. Rapid fire. Jurassic World. Haven't seen uh, it yet. So many minor things. I loved the movie. I thought it was amazingly entertaining. But you have tracking chips and self-destructing chips and everything for the dinosaurs. How can you lose any of them? How can you know that any of them right. are in their cages? These are all, none of these are new problems. The original Jurassic Park movie still happened. It is referenced in film. It's still part of the continuity. This isn't like retconning that the first one never happened. Right. There were problems in, in the original Jurassic Park movie. You fixed them for Jurassic World. It's become a successful amusement park venture thing. And then apparently you just forgot that you had all of that. Yeah, like all the dinosaurs have these self-destruct chips effectively. And so all the flying dinosaurs are coming to kill all of your visitors. Why don't you just blow them the fuck up? Right. Taze them or whatever it is the chips do. Press the button. Right. Well, again, I haven't seen it. I will take your word for it that that is never addressed. But, you know, you got to let the monsters eat people. I had one not from Jurassic World, but from Jurassic Park. Okay. Which is, Nedry has to know about the Dilophosaurus. (laughs) <laughs> he has to know. He he can't not know what the Dilophosauri do. He skipped that day in his in no, employee No, he fucking didn't. He knows <laughs> what they do. Why are you playing fetch with it like it's a cute puppy? You know that it's deadly and it will spit poison in your face. What the fuck is wrong with you? See, what happened is they handed Nedry the terms and conditions for Jurassic Park. And he clicked, I accept. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, wouldn't you? The thing was like 800 pages long. He wasn't going to read that. He had snacks to eat. I don't read things when I accept them on the internet that are half a page. 
All right. Rapid fire Ridley Scott as long as we're on Ridley Scott. At least we were during Gladiator. Yep. Skipped him a bit in Jurassic World. But rapid fire Ridley Scott. Hey, Charlize Theron, turn left. Huh? Prometheus? Haven't seen it. Oh, I didn't bother. Okay, well, well, you guys remember the circular ship from Alien that they find yeah. in the original Alien, where all that's what Prometheus is all about, basically, right. is them finding that ship. And at one point, towards the end, they uh, the ship crashes, and Charlize Theron, who's kind of a villainous character, the ship, okay, it's kind of a horseshoe shape, so it lands in the middle of the horseshoe and then starts to roll sideways. Charlize Theron and the main heroine are underneath that. And they start running vertically away from it. Charlize Theron gets crushed by said ship because at no point did she think, maybe I should turn. Come on, Indy. You can dodge that boulder. You don't have to run in a straight line. You know what, though? I always justify Raiders of the Lost Ark by the fact that if he did anything else but run away from the boulder, he would have been trapped in that cave forever. But see, the running in a straight line away from the thing that you could just dodge is also a trope, which is stupid because it's lazy, just like you're describing. But this scene of this ship falling, it's falling very slowly. You can find it on YouTube, I'm sure, because so so many people have brought this up. It's falling so slowly. It must take like 30 seconds because she's running and then she trips and falls. She rolls over onto her back just in time to see the ship finally crush her. Of course. And that took like 30 seconds. It's like that scene in Austin Powers when the guy is standing in front of the... (laughs) Yes. And he just screams no while Mike Myers is slowly rolling towards him. It's exactly... It is that scene. Thematically connected. Real rapid fire. Fifth Element. Loved the movie. Very beginning. There's the Mondachiwan alien in his giant, archaic-looking bronze environmental suit, whatever, that's rushing towards the door to give the key to the priest. And the priest goes, come on, hurry up. You can still make it. There's still time. And the alien says, time not important, only life important. Well, dumbass. Maybe you could save your (laughs) life then. Just saying. Yeah. Just hurry it up a little. Come on. Well, speaking of preachers, fucking rapid fire Da Vinci Code, among all the other things oh, that are good God. In the movie. How the fuck does the first guy even do all that to himself to leave the clues behind? The body that they find with the fucking pentagram around. He's leaving all these messages as he's taking forever to die. Bribed a guard. Sure. He bribed a guard. Yep. That's what it is. That's the answer for everything now. Bribed a guard. Okay. Uh, I'm going to just run through my list of Braveheart. Yeah, do it. Okay. Princess Isabella was a 13-year-old girl who was living in France when William Wallace was executed in 1305. Right. So uh, William Wallace is maybe kind of supposed to be a little bit the father of Isabella's child and thus the ancestor of all future kings and queens of England. Uh Uh-huh. But Isabella's baby was born in 1312, which was seven years after William Wallace was killed in 1305. They cryogenically froze the sperm, never stole it, and... <laughs> and it rolled off into the water. Yeah, but yeah. was saved later because it was trapped in the mud. You know. There you go. So it was an amber. <laughs> yes, that's Perfect. it. So the Wallaces were supposed to be poor commoners, except yep. Malcolm Wallace was actually a minor noble and became a knight, as did his son William. <laughs> so as noble families went, they were pretty poor, but they were actually still significantly more privileged than basically any other commoner. Yep. In the opening scene, there's a caption that tells us that it's Scotland in 1280. And the voiceover says, the king of Scotland died without an heir, blah, blah, blah. The king, Alexander III, didn't actually die until six years later. Mm-hmm. So, no. <laughs> and wasn't it also true that pre never existed? That is also true, yes. Yes. The, so the basis for the entire movie 
the revenge plot they have in, they have concocted for William Wallace never happened. Yes, that's correct. Lot, lots of tales of the English saying that the French did it or the French saying that the English did it. No one ever actually giving a documented historical account of it ever happening right. as far back as ever. Babylon, I think. Yeah, ever. Okay, so you know that at the funeral for William Wallace's father, there's a dude playing the bagpipes and... Because Scotland. One of the guys tells William Wallace that they're outlawed tunes played on outlawed pipes. Mm -hmm. Except the bagpipes have only ever been banned twice in Scotland. And the first time was 300 years after this movie took place. Hey, had kilts been invented by then? No, in fact. (laughs) The Scots didn't actually wear the kilt until the 17th century. Like, they weren't a thing. So it was at least 400 years until the kilts would be a thing, even though it was kind of a big deal in the movie. The Scots didn't actually sack York. They sacked Carlisle. There were no Irish troops present at the Battle of Falkirk, and Mm. no one from the English army defected. Not one person. For any reason, whether defected to go over to the Scottish or defected because fuck the army, they just didn't. The English army kept all of its men. William Wallace is portrayed as a Highland clansman, and he's in, quote-unquote, traditional Highland garb. But he was actually a lowland knight from exactly the same ethnic background as the Anglo-Normans he was fighting, and he would have been wearing the same exact style of armor that they did. The title, the Duke of York, didn't actually exist yet. I think it was uh, 100 or 200 years until the Duke of York was actually a title. And the reason why it is called the Battle of Stirling is because it was fought on Stirling Bridge in the mud. And the English had to file down into really small ranks so they could cross said bridge while William Wallace came in with full plate armor and his army, not kilts. And then he butchered them with all of his friends. Right. There are a couple more, but those are just the main basic. I've got one. Like Robert the Bruce was actually the good guy. Yeah. In the real story. Like, it's just, it's a bunch of bullshit, basically. It's still uh, largely enjoyable if you don't know any of this stuff, because it's a very well done film. But it's complete. It is complete fabrication masking itself as actual historical truth. Well, and again, you know, the modern age. Thank you, Google. Because I never go into a movie that is a dramatization of something historical and go, oh, this is going to be very accurate. There are a few exceptions, and that's only because I've researched them afterwards. You know, there are the the, the rare ones, but especially it's Mel Gibson. He just wanted to make an entertaining movie. My, you know, feeling about Braveheart is it would be awesome if that if everything in that movie is exactly what happened. But the truth is almost never quite as interesting, sometimes much more interesting in the case of William Wallace. Not nearly as interesting as the movie. No, I wish William Wallace was that guy in that movie. Okay, so what's your one thing about Braveheart? Uh, Not enough Jew hating. I think that's a a big (laughs) historical inaccuracy in that movie. (laughs) All right. So my one thing is very brief, and I don't want to add to Rissa's list too much, but the whole scene where William Wallace basically takes credit for inventing the pike. Oh, right. (sighs) Right. The pike. No one in all of the history of warfare stretching back 5,000 plus years had thought to make a longer (laughs) spear. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to dwell too much on Braveheart. I do have a brief story about Braveheart that uh, is unrelated, which is that my father, who is a military historian, on watching Braveheart, basically locked himself in the library for a week so that he could make a fully detailed enumerated list of everything that was wrong with the film, which was basically the film Braveheart. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, that's the thing. You can't... 
if I, I cannot imagine what it must be like to be a historical and historical expert and go to see any movie about any historical event without ripping every hair in my head out. If you can't separate, like, this is just for entertainment's sake, because that's what people need to realize. Whenever a movie is made, it is 90% of the time strictly for entertainment's sake. Braveheart was made because Mel Gibson wanted to look like a badass in a kilt. That's the only reason that movie got made. Okay, rapid fire. Evan, go. Another historically inaccurate movie that I think is actually more historically accurate than Braveheart, Batman Returns. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Two things that, one, I've already mentioned on this podcast, the eye makeup problem. Yes. With Batman ripping off his bat cowl, and the second before he does, they have to take the eye makeup off because they just can't justify it. There's another right before that scene that I've always thought is hysterically strange. If you remember Batman Returns, he attacks the penguin towards the end in his bat wing, which he takes into the sewers, and then he leaps out from the, not he leaps, but the bat wing springs out from underground and crushes the penguin's duck thing. And then there's a moment of silence. And up until that point, they've had all these great interior cockpit shots of Michael Keaton as Batman, obviously sitting very comfortably in the Batwing with all his control panels and everything. However, the actual model of the Batwing was impossible for any normal-sized man to sit into. And what they had to do was to, for that shot, because the Batwing lands, it crashes, he thinks the Penguin might be dead, so the cockpit of the Batwing opens and Batman springs out into action. The problem is... There was no actual chair in the Batwing that Michael Ke- in the actual Batwing that Michael Keaton could sit in. So to compensate for this, to actually show Batman springing into action from the Batwing, he had to stuff himself into the cockpit and basically put himself into this odd pretzel shape, which is already hard in that costume, just to fit into it for long enough for them to get the shot where the cockpit opens and Batman springs out. I know this because when I watch the movie. They have tinted the windows of the Batwing until it actually opens and the stage lighting comes right through the Batwing windows and you see Michael Keaton face down (laughs) on something. I don't even think there was a chair in that fucking thing for real. It's one of the funniest unintentional things you'll ever see in a movie where Batman, the coolest guy ever, is shoved into this little thing and he has to worm his way out and you see him struggling with it right before he appears as Batman. It's a beautiful moment. That's good stuff. Oh, my turn again. Yeah. Oh, really quick. Pirates of the Caribbean. I normally don't get bothered by stuff in Pirates of the Caribbean because it's a fucking ride at Disneyland. Yeah. But the the Aztec coins that the pirates have a chest full of, <laughs> Right. the stamp on the Aztec coins is of Veracoca, an Incan god. So... I would never These have known that. These are not well-educated pirates. So. <laughs> they're, they're supposedly Aztec coins with the depiction of an Incan god, which... Were pirates mm, ever well-educated? Actually, Some yeah. Some of them were. Yeah. Plus, I'm sure that there's a whole bunch of nautical stuff that absolutely irritates the shit out of fans of naval history, but it doesn't bother sure. me, because Pirates of the Caribbean, it's fun. Yeah, there you go. Winston. Okay, my turn. Signs. How the hell do these aliens not have environmental suits to let them deal with water? <laughs> Why do they come to a planet that is 75% water? Okay. And why do they need this whole lead up with all the hints and clues in order for Joaquin Phoenix to figure out, oh, I can hit it with a bat? (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to go too much in in depth with signs because so many problems. But seriously, you can engineer a spaceship capable of interstellar travel. That means you can engineer a 
diving suit. A hab suit or whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. Back to the Future 3. We've all seen the kid pointing at his dick, right? Uh, what? Oh, my God. It's amazing. At the very end of Back to the Future 3, this entire series hinges on this moment. A satisfying conclusion to a satisfying movie series when Christopher Lloyd shows up in the train with his wife and children. There's a beautiful moment where his two sons are standing behind him and the camera zooms in to Christopher Lloyd. Apparently, and this made it into the final cut of the movie, one of the children thought that the camera was no longer on him and he really had to pee. Oh, God. (laughs) So his way of communicating this, and you can see it very clearly behind Christopher Lloyd giving Michael J. Fox the inspirational message, is to motion to someone off camera with his finger and then point at his own dick. So you see him doing the finger like come here thing and then pointing at his dick. Are you sure he had to pee and he wasn't like, ladies? <laughs> he this was is like a message five. to all the ladies of the future. <laughs> he was like five. So I don't want to go there. By but the time he gets to the future, he'll be older. There you go. But yeah, that's hilarious. Rapid fire. Hilarious mistake made into a final cut of a movie. Okay. Chris, go. Speed. Lots of problems with speed, though it oh, is yeah. a very enjoyable movie until they get off the bus. At the beginning, the elevator cable blows out and the elevator falls for way too long because elevator right. brakes are designed <clears throat> to come on if fucking immediately. Right. You can't get half a floor before the brakes snap on. But okay, so the elevator cable blows out and it starts to fall. It falls for too long and then finally the brakes come on and it stops. But no one inside, after it's fallen like 20 floors, no one collapses to the ground. They don't fall all over each other. They don't completely lose their balance. They're still all standing. Well, no, it stopped before it hit the bottom. Uh, <laughs> gravity's a thing. No. And then They, bla- they blackmail the guard. Right, exactly. <laughs> And then, the, this is the one everybody knows, the bus jumps over the gap, and then it just lands perfectly flat on oh, all yeah. 16 wheels. Just Not only fucking... that, but I mean, no. just the fact that the bus had nothing to elevate it when it jumped off the ramp in the first place. Well, it bribed a guard. It bribed a guard. Yep. It, no, it had the nitrous for the horses. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. All right. Evan, go. Oh, me again? Sure. We all know about the Pulp Fiction bullet holes. Do we know about that? That sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. But refresh my memory. And for the listeners. Uh, in home. the scene where Jules and John Travolta, the beautiful scene where they kill all the guys in the apartment and yep. the one guy who's been waiting in the bathroom yep. comes out with a magnum or as John Travolta calls it, a hand cannon. Yeah. And shoots them and conveniently misses. There are large holes in the wall that Samuel Jackson specifically points out as a sign that God has saved them from death. Those holes are clearly visible before that man ever comes out of the bathroom. <laughs> Yes, very good. Okay, my turn? Yeah. Yes. New Star Trek, how is San Francisco still there? Oh, totally. (laughs) Totally. Giant spaceship, huge spaceship crashes into San Francisco. I can get that maybe the rest of the Western Hemisphere isn't immediately devastated, (laughs) but how is there still a city of San Francisco? How is the West Coast still there? You know what? Future science technology. Yeah, it had buffers or something. Inertial dampeners. Oh, no, it's water, so probably inertial dampeners. You're right. Yeah, that was probably it. But you're totally right. It should have completely annihilated that entire Bay Area, at least. Carissa. I hate to do this, but Jaws. Sure. One, sharks don't roar. No. (laughs) You know, by expelling air through their lungs over their vocal cords. That's not a thing that they do. Sharks don't swim backwards. <laughs> I mean, that's a little bit more esoteric than the not roaring one. Well, caught in an undertow. 
uh, but they can they can't. That's not a thing that can happen. Their mo- their movement is all forward momentum. He engaged his nitrous boosters to go backwards. To go backwards. Uh, sharks' eyes roll back and close up with their other eyelid whenever they bite anything. So all that time when he's biting the ship, and you see that you know the huge the black eyes like a doll's eyes. Like a doll's eyes. <laughs> You wouldn't see those at all. They would no. be closed and white. Like, that's it. You can't see a shark's eyes when it's biting anything, ever. And at the beginning, when the they're in the little area, it's I think it's nighttime, and the shark is coming toward them, and it's dorsal fin and tail fin crests out of the water mm-hmm. and moving toward the woman. Uh, and it keeps moving forward toward her, and it's right. and it's all scary and whatever. But how is it moving forward exactly? Because its tail fin is completely in line with its dorsal fin the entire time. It's completely stationary. Are you thinking Jaws 3? Was it? Because that does happen in Jaws 3, when he's approaching the glass in the underwater dome, mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be this impressively terrifying 3D effect. However, the shark model was not moving at all. My memory has it in Jaws 1 somewhere, but it may very well have been Jaws 3. may have been. It's a classic goof because, you know... Sharks have to move their tails. They, they have to move. They have to move something. <laughs> yeah, so that's fucking ridiculous. And are we ignoring the fact that in Jaws 4, the shark somehow follows her? Voodoo. Voodoo shark. Yeah, vo- okay. totally voodoo shark. That's fine. I mean, whatever. <laughs> totally acceptable. That's fine. I mean, that's just narrative crap for a fiction. That's cool. But if you're... Because the original Jaws especially, it was obviously fiction. It was meant to be a horror movie. And so there are right. things about it that you have to go with. But really, there are just some things that are true, like sharks don't roar. And with a shark that big, this just occurred to me. Because that intro is one of the best like screen deaths ever. And that woman paid for it, too. <laughs> but how is a shark that big... I mean, obviously it has her by the legs or by the waist or something and is literally dragging her around the ocean. Mm-hmm. How is a shark that big not having something crest the water when it's already that close to the surface enough to chomp on her and drag her all around? Because it can't be doing it like vertically from underneath her. It totally is. It's doing uh, shark ballet. Oh, okay. Can it not? Like, is she too close to the shore? She's pretty close to the shore. She's in water, like, up to her neck. But even if she was in deeper water, you'd think that if the shark was able to... Because if you remember that scene, she is being tossed over, like, a 10-foot radius, like, backwards, forwards, front ways. And you never see anything from the shark even touch the surface of the water. That's a huge fucking shark. I mean, you probably would, but it is at least feasible to think that you would not, that it would not actually crest the water. It's not, I mean... Because every other time throughout the entire movie, it attacks anyone. Unless they are already underwater, you see it. You see a fin. You see something crest the waves. I mean, because there are, you know, eyewitness, or not eyewitness, but victim reports from shark attacks or whatever, where they see nothing and no one around them sees anything. Yeah, but then like the shark either just bites them and swims away or bites them and drags them under. This thing is giving her a tour That's of the true. Pacific. And I mean, going from like orcas who will do that, you can always see the... Right. Once they've got their prey, you can always see them when they're talking. That is definitely around. one of those moments in movies that is total suspension of yeah. disbelief because the the effect is so good. Yeah. And I mean, I'm okay with stuff like that, honestly. I can completely... He bribed a guard or whatever. I'm, <laughs> I'm fine with letting that stuff go. But it's 
it's really just the absolute implausibility or impossibility of things like roaring and swimming backwards. Okay, my last one is also a shark movie, and I want to save it for at oh, least my I, last one. I know exactly where you're going yes, with this. Yes, you do. Okay, I've got two. I've got two to go. Evan, how many do you have? Uh, I have three. All right, okay. so Evan, North by Northwest, classic movie. Two big mistakes. One of them is one of the funniest mistakes ever committed to film. One of them can be justified, so I'm not even going to bring it up. The other is a problem a lot of movies have when you have actors who are supposed to be driving a car in old movies in front of a screen. Yes. There's a moment in North by Northwest when Cary Grant is in the back of a police car and he's got a police officer next to him and there's a police officer driving. And obviously they are in front of a screen. However, that worked back then. They are obviously not really driving and everybody has to do that steering wheel movement thing. Yeah. And it's choreographed to where the cop takes a curve very quickly and they are all supposed to lean to their right. Go back and watch the scene because it's beautiful. Because the cop sitting to Cary Grant's right forgets to move. So the cop driving the car does the turn and he moves. Cary Grant then leans up against the other cop, realizes the cop has not moved like he's supposed to, and gives him a you stupid fuck look before that cop finally decides to lean to the right. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and it made it into the final cut. It's beautiful. It's so small you could miss it so easily, but it the look on Cary Grant's face is like, motherfucker, are we going to have to shoot this again? And then the guy's like, oh, yeah. Is beautiful. Okay, my second to last one. Very quick, thematically related to one of the ones earlier. How does Kylo Ren in the new Star Wars films keep his hair so perfect? <laughs> Inertial dampeners, dude. He's using the power of the Force to maintain those perfect luxuries. He bribed the hairstylist. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, that helmet thing is way too small for his luscious locks to be all broing, sproingy and Gloriously perfect. flowing out. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, it is a galaxy far, far away. Their hair could be different than ours. They are technically all aliens. And, you know, who knows what sort of hairstyle technology they had. Nanomachine hair Absolutely. Product. Look at the quaffs in the original trilogy. Those people gave a shit about their hair. Anyway, Evan, your second to last one. General liquids and glasses. One of the hardest continuity things yes. ever in movies. Because it ruins a scene when someone has a glass half full of water. Or half empty, depending on how you look at it. And then within two seconds, is either completely full or completely empty. Without anyone drinking it. Yep. Same thing goes for any sort of food product. Oh, yeah. Like it's the hardest thing in the world. Yep. I was watching uh, Doubt, which I love that movie. And I was amazed at the continuity in it because there is a scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman has a cup of tea in his hand and is putting sugar cubes in it. And I remember watching that scene going... The continuity guy is brilliant because I'm watching this. I mean, I shouldn't have been just watching Philip Seymour Huffman's tea glass, but I was because I was like, this is great because there are so many in film, you so many reshoots, so many different angles and things like that, that you have to take that stuff into account. Where was he holding his glass? Had he drunk out of it yet? How many sugar cubes did he have on his plate? All that stuff matters. Yep. And they got it so right. And that made me realize, God, how many movies? And this is so... There are too many instances. And I can't even think of a specific right now, but there are too many instances. Go into detail about any of them. We just all know it's a problem. Liquid magically filling or emptying in glasses. Yep. Okay. Who wants their last one to go first? Who wants to be the first or the last? Doesn't matter to me. I would like to be last. Okay. Evan, okay. You're, doesn't matter to you. You go. Okay. This is my biggest pet peeve in movies, period. And it is something that I think is a series ruiner for me. Okay. Movies that ignore mythology, but then try to be a part of it as well. One of the biggest irritants for me of this, and this is to me an, an absolute inaccuracy, is just simply ignoring mythology. X-Men First Class is such a good movie in so many ways. However, it 
repurposed itself to be interconnected with the other X-Men movies. You can say what, and I've heard interviews with the director since then that were like, no, we were making our own movie. Fuck you, you weren't because you had a Hugh Jackman cameo. You were wanting to be the prequel to the other X-Men movies. However, you completely ignored the mythology of those movies, even the bad ones. So then fans have to go back and justify how this movie could lead to the events of the others. Thank you, Brian Singer, for Days of Future Past, which did that. But leading up to Days of Future Past, I was so irritated with X-Men First Class because I enjoyed it so much until about the last 10 minutes where I went, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) Magneto and Charles Xavier can't end this movie this way because that's not what they were in the other movies. Because by the end of X-Men First Class, they are now enemies and Charles Xavier is now crippled. Whereas very plainly in the other movies, they were friends well into their elder years and their true rift came later because at the beginning of X-Men 3, granted, it's not the best of the series, but it's there. So you got to accept the mythology. The continuity is, you know, at the beginning of that movie, Charles Xavier is still walking and he looks like Patrick Stewart and he arrives at Jean Grey's house with Ian McKellen as, you know, obviously Magneto. And they're still kind of buddies. They just disagree on the best way to appeal to Jean Grey. Not to mention the fact that in the first X-Men movie, there is a blink and you miss it cameo from Beast on TV who is not furry at all. Yep. And yet they give his character fur in X-Men First Class. If you're going to make a movie where you purport it to be part of an established mythology, then just take the 20 minutes it would take to look through all the major plot points of the movie you're going to make and make sure it makes sense and connects. Yep. Huge pet peeve of mine. And that is and mainly because it's purposeful. Like it's it's not a mistake. It's not an inaccuracy as in, you know, we're just going to ignore the facts and go for it's simply. uh, Well, this is the movie we want to make. We're trying to capitalize on on the mythology of this while ignoring it completely. Yeah. I'm with you. And I am done. Okay. Well, I guess I'll go next because Carissa wants to go last. Mine was my special mention for being a movie that had just unending, hilarious, this doesn't jive at all with real world logic, but was an immensely entertaining movie despite that, which was G.I. Joe. Hell yeah, G.I. Joe. It's one of my favorite movies. It's amazing. It's just a nonstop action fest. It makes no sense. And I just rapid fire some of the things that don't at all jive with real world logic or sense or anything. There's the nano machines that apparently have an unending power supply and (laughs) can just go forever and dissolve metal. Where does the metal go? No one knows. Nano machines. Nano made. There's the ice in the Arctic base that sinks when it's blown up because everyone knows that ice sinks in water. Sure. There are the power armor suits that allow you to completely ignore inertia and the fact that you would snap your own neck moving around at the speeds and at the angles that they do. Sure. And it just doesn't matter. It's just a great movie. (laughs) I can't not love that movie. Here's what I thought of G.I. Joe the movie. The red-haired chick was hot. Yeah. That's about my opinion of G.I. Joe. Dude, G.I. Joe was so hilarious. I think we saw it in the theaters three or four times. And we went to see it and just about shit our pants with how hilariously bad it was. Took a friend of ours to see it and watched him watch it. And he had an even better time than we did. And at the end of it, it was... We described it then and i will describe it now as the people who made gi joe went to wikipedia and looked up science (laughs) read the article on science and then said no we don't want to do any of that right and by the end of gi joe i was pretty convinced that nothing was real like if it happened in gi joe it wasn't real so paris probably doesn't actually exist (laughs) <laughs> I've been to Paris, and that mo- movie made me doubt my own memories. Because <laughs> it was in G.I. Joe, and things in G.I. Joe aren't real. 
So the Eiffel Tower, not a thing. Yeah. Cars that can store uh, jet fighters worth of rocketry. Through hinge technology. Through hinge technology. And not at all take up any of the room inside for all of your eight passengers in your SUV. Yes, let's just deploy the cow catcher out of the engine block. Yes, because the SUV doesn't need an engine in its engine block. <laughs> no, it has nitrous boosters. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, G.I. Joe is such a laugh riot. The engine's bribed a guard. It did. It bribed a guard. <laughs> Okay, that that was my my last final special mention because there are so many so many of those. GI Joe is basically just hey, wait a minute, nonstop, and it doesn't detract from it at all. It makes it so much better. Yeah, it totally does. If they had taken it seriously for even one minute, it would have made it the worst movie ever made. But they, but didn't. they didn't. They didn't at all, and it makes it so amazingly par- terrible. They they just went with it, and it was great. All right, so mine mine is unfortunately what GI Joe would have been if they had taken it at all seriously. Mm-hmm. Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> yep. It is... Fond memories of that movie. Yeah, I was going to say quite possibly, but it's not possible. It is literally the most ridiculous blockbuster disaster movie ever made. Oh, sure. So here I'm going to rapid fire these because it's... I could go on, but I will just leave it to the like dozen or so I have. So first, the science of the whole premise is patently ridiculous. Geneticists simply don't do the things that they're doing. At all. Like they're trying to take this gland and make it do something else and make it bigger and better and stronger with blackjack and hookers or whatever. And that's not what geneticists do at all in any part. And so the whole premise hinges on what these geneticists are trying to do with these disease-free sharks, which, by the way, sharks not disease-free. And (laughs) that's not a thing at all. So you're false from the get-go, and you're hinging your entire movie on this premise, which is patently retarded. Okay, moving on. They're in the lab with the little shark, Mm -hmm. and it bites off the dude's arm. Yeah. He flails. And he bites off the dude's arm. Sharks could totally do that. But it is so... The man's arm is so clearly tucked into his shirt. Oh my god, yes. It is like a six-year-old could fake it better. Yeah. So bad. Because you can see his forearm by his stomach lifting his elbow under his shirt. Isn't that part of the Sharknado philosophy, too, that a shark just wants to eat all the time regardless of the circumstance that it finds itself in whereas you know part of the problem with sharknado obviously sharknado is not meant to be taken seriously at all right but part of the problem with the logic of that movie if you apply logic to it is that these sharks are being thrown around by a tornado landing everywhere and yet they still want to eat people wouldn't they be going what the fuck is happening to me i'm not in water anymore wasn't that kind of the problem with that scene as well that the shark would be flailing and trying to get back in the water or trying to save itself because it's suffocating but still no i'll bite this guy's arm too well no i mean they had it in a small tank with water on its gills oh, did the they? water was moving yeah i could have sworn it was out of the water no, no. well my I'm... bad then i'm sorry to question the logic of deep blue sea. <laughs> Please, that at least, least that right that at least was not patently foolish they did have it in a small tank they were running water over its gills and stuff okay but it wakes up from its brain surgery and then bites the dude's arm off and it's under his shirt but later because they have to bring in a helicopter to transport him out to get medical care even though they are a fully functional genetics lab right with a doctor on staff they have to fly him out to get him medical care, whatever. Of course they do. But then it's only half bitten off. It's like just above the elbow. Right. Even though when he got it bitten off, it was at the shoulder under his shirt. Right. <laughs> so at the beginning, 
they have this uh, 13-foot tiger shark in a sling. Mm -hmm. And this is really just because I know anything at all about sharks. It is the exact same Mako shark robot that they use for the rest of it, just with some stripes on it. Right. They just painted the same fucking robot. Tiger sharks and Mako sharks look nothing alike at all. And yet they just use the same one. Like, it's a shark. Everybody will think it's a shark. No, asshole. Tiger sharks' noses are completely different. Mako sharks are much more... Oh, my God, whatever. So these are kind of in no particular order. So I'm going to jump around the movie a little bit. Mm -hmm. At one point, when the shark is in the undersea lab, L. O. Cool J is trying to get away from the shark. And he, he climbs into the double oven. Yeah. And then realizes he has to climb to the other part of the double oven. And he just like pushes through the barrier wall between the two ovens. It's apparently just like a sheet of tin foil that separates the two <laughs> parts of the oven, which is totally not how ovens work. Like it's right. made of steel or whatever sort of alloy that oven is made of. Not like a piece of tin foil you can just push open and move aside. Okay, so after the shark bites the dude's arm off and he is being transported in the helicopter and then the shark does something to cut the wire that the gurney is on because the wind is rising so they can't actually put him on the helicopter. Well, they're smart sharks. He had shears. Yeah, right. So they're going to have to fly him. A man in so dire need of emergency medical care that they couldn't take care of it in the genetics lab with the doctor on staff. They have to fly him to a hospital on land through all this wind and storm and stuff just on a gurney on a rope under a helicopter in a storm. Right. The shark jumps up and grabs the gurney or cuts the wire or whatever and the gurney falls in the water and the shark grabs the gurney in its mouth. The shark grabs a gurney which holds a fully grown adult male in its mouth. Yeah, I remember this very clear. I remember the image of the guy being slammed against the glass and okay. still being alive somehow. So the gurney is in this shark's mouth, which first of all, no, it's fucking not. Second of all, because now the shark has to have his mouth has to open and be able to hold something uh, three feet wide. Yeah. Give or take. That's a huge ass fucking shark. And in that part of the movie, it's a huge ass fucking shark. It's got to yeah. be 40 feet long. And here we get to the Godzilla equation. Yes. The 15 feet wide. I mean, it's huge. So it's got this gurney in its mouth and then it swims at the lab window and throws the gurney underwater, underwater. Right. He has pulled the gurney underwater and the dude on the gurney, not drowning or dying of blood loss, is screaming on his way as the shark throws the gurney at the lab window. Yeah. From like 30 feet away, there is literally no way it maintained any of its inertial momentum and slams into the foot thick glass, let alone hard enough to crack said foot thick glass. It would have drifted slowly about two feet and then just sunk to the seabed where he drowned to death. Right. Bullets, bullets don't penetrate that far in water. Right. That dude thrown by a shark. A shark. But guys, it was a smart shark. Yeah, but smart sharks aren't like... But no, it was a smart shark. <laughs> okay, so... That is literally the only explanation. Yeah. It's like trying to argue with someone who just read one fact on some political page. It's like, yeah, but this. Yeah, but it was a smart shark. Yeah, but physically that couldn't happen. But it was a smart shark. That was the justification for everything that happens in that movie. At another point, the shark is, again, chasing people through the hallways of this underwater lab. And the doctor, Jan... I think. Anyway, I don't remember what's any her name? Names of any characters in that movie? The chick. She's trying to get away from the shark and she steps up on her desk and the water is just below the top of her desk. She steps up on her desk and she strips off all her clothes because, 
Of course she does. Because you got it. And she's wet, so she puts her wetsuit under her feet. And she she must weigh, what, 95 pounds? Oh, if that. And she's a research scientist. She's not like a gymnast or a bodybuilder no. or, or a rock climber. She's a fucking research scientist. She weighs 90 pounds. And she reaches up behind her and yanks out the main hardline cable from its cable box, which, no, you fucking didn't. Because, again, <laughs> you weigh 90 pounds and, no, you didn't. So, okay, she grabs the main hardline cable out and it's sparking or whatever. And then she holds the cable in the water and then shocks the shark. Of course she did. And then she just leaves it there, and the electricity just magically stops running through the cable. It shorted out. Circuit breaker. Right, but just through that cable. Electricity everywhere else is completely unharmed. It's a smart circuit breaker. <laughs> yeah. It bribed a guard. <laughs> it leaves her safe to re-enter the water, which I found very handy indeed. Inertial dampeners. Inertial dampeners. At the end of the film, that leads me to another problem. Uh, so she was wet, and she had to pull off her wetsuit. And right. then later, she's dry. And then she's wet again. Of course. And then she's dry. And then she's wet again. And like these characters can't seem to decide whether or not they have been in water recently, even though they're in an underwater lab escaping from sharks in the halls. At the end of the film, when LL Cool J is fighting the shark. Of course. There's a not insubstantial moment where it is very clear that it is, in fact, a white stuntman doing the scene for a very not white LL Cool J. I don't remember that at all, but that's beautiful. Oh, my God. Oh, it's so obvious. It's so bad. And it's not like for a moment. It's not the back of his hand. It's for the entire scene. It's a white dude. So clearly a fucking white dude. Like, really? There are no black stuntmen? Right. Really? All right, whatever. Stuntmen so white. You're right. Then at the end of the movie, they explode the shark. Yes. I'm not even going to get into how that wouldn't actually have exploded the shark, but the explosion at the end happens like right over there. Like they explode the shark from right over there. Right. And it should have killed that dude. The concussion wave alone would have absolutely liquefied his insides. But he's just like, cool, I exploded a shark. Yeah. Now I'm going to go to the core of the earth and kill more black people. Right, exactly. And my final problem is a series of problems, which is, I'm just going to call it, shit sharks do. Yeah. Like, they change size depending on where that they was are. The I was waiting for you yep. to get to that. Because I only saw this movie in the theater with you when it first came out and remember hating it then and thinking it was one of the worst things I'd ever seen. One of the main reasons being they make such a big deal at the beginning of this movie out of how fucking big these sharks are. Yet later in the movie, they can survive in two feet of water and fit through doors no bigger than an average door in a submarine. Yeah, they're big enough to hold a gurney in its mouth. Right. But also small enough to fit through porthole doors. And any shark that big, once they once they get their plan of getting into this to this underwater station, which I guess is what he was doing by throwing the gurney at the window. They just yes. want to get in and eat, eat, eat. Wouldn't they like get in there and be like, oh, fuck, this was a bad idea. Let's stay out in the ocean where we won't die of suffocation. Yeah. Because also the fence that was surrounding their enclosure was like a foot high. Yeah. And I mean, sharks aren't leapers like dolphins, but fucking <laughs> those sharks could absolutely have jumped over Just that fucking dude, fence. Dude at it. I've never seen the fucking great white footage of those oh. things jumping out of the water to get at something. Well, yeah, but I mean, not every shark can do that. They don't all breach. And in fact, not even all great whites breach. But they can, those sharks especially 
especially those sharks, could have gotten up enough momentum to get the fucking foot out of the water it would take to slide over the fucking fence. Or just throw a dude in a gurney at it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So they can swim through three foot deep water in these narrow hallways through these porthole doors while also being big enough to hold gurneys in their mouths. Yes. And they behave like sapient, tropey horror movie villains. They like, they swim really super slow for a sense of mounting tension. Right. Instead of at the like 30 to 40 miles per hour that they actually swim. Yes. And apparently, I think, though they never show this, they can swim backwards because how did they get out of a lot of the places that they swam into? Yeah, that's exactly right. Like he swims into the kitchen. Kitchens aren't known for being really expansive. No. They're pretty fucking cramped, especially, especially in a place like that. not in an underwater Yeah, station. exactly. So he gets into this kitchen. It's not like this 80-foot-long shark or however the fuck long it was supposed to be can just swim in and flip a bitch. How the fuck did he get out? Oh, apparently he must have swam backwards. They're smart sharks. Smart sharks, exactly. Bribed to guard. They did. Inertial dampeners. And they can carry gurneys in their mouths which is not a thing that they can fucking do. Deep Blue Sea is seriously, it is the movie that raises my ire more than almost any other movie. And I don't know why, really. Yeah, there are, I mean, honestly, there are plenty of worse movies out there. I guess there's just a level of ridiculousness that that movie reaches. And I don't think the producers of that movie were taking it that seriously either. The tone of the movie, however, just didn't sell it to be a ridiculous movie. The tone of the movie was, this is the new Jaws. Yeah, and no. <laughs> no, not at all. Oh, it was so fucking bad, and it irritated. It is my go-to, this movie is the worst movie ever made. It's so bad. Yeah, I mean, it's not good. I only saw it that one time. I couldn't stand to sit through it again, but it stuck in my brain. Yeah, mine too. How many movies have I seen since then? How long ago was that? How many movies have I seen since then where I could be like, oh, that's not a good movie? No, Deep Blue Sea really stuck in my head. Yeah, it's that bad. It's really that bad. Well, I feel better. Do you guys feel better? I, th- I do. I, I do. do feel better. Yep. Good. Until we see another movie that we all hate and hate it. Well, and, you know, honestly, except for maybe Deep Blue Sea and a couple of others, again, a lot of these movies we actually really love. Oh, yeah, totally. They're just, you know, the little things we can't get past. Yeah. And, and we're putting this out there to you, public. Justify some of the things we've said so that we can sleep at night because I haven't slept in like 30 years. <laughs> But don't give me that bullshit about the aliens in signs were actually demons, because that's just bullshit. Is that a thing? That's uh, apparently what M. Night Shyamalan's explanation for it is. They're actually demons, and it's specifically holy water. Are you serious? Nope. Wait, no, you're not serious? Or did you think I said, are you joking? I I am serious. (laughs) That is exactly what he said. Oh, my God. Take luck and care. (laughs) Take luck and care with the luck that you have. (laughs) You know, six six doesn't one half the other. When did he come out with this brilliant explanation? I don't even remember it a while ago wow but he wasn't even a preacher so how could the water have been holy water wow he was who blessed the water to make it holy water he did wow when before (laughs) every time his daughter leaves a glass of water around he's like fuck better bless it instead of just asking her to pour it down the drain i refer all of our listeners to our first pilot episode where we discuss this in greater detail anyway true Give me good explanations, not bullshit like that. Yeah. And you can do that. You can email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at lucky underscore 10K. Excellent. And Winston, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Thank you for having me again. I am sure we will have you back at some point. <laughs> Wait. It was his secret plan all along. Sharks are smart. <laughs> I bribed a guard. <laughs> Somebody say inertial dampers. Inertial dampeners. There you go. 
So again, thanks, Winston. We really enjoyed it. We hope you have enjoyed it. Please don't forget to give us five-star reviews on Stitcher and iTunes. Email us if you want. At the email address Carissa gave it. And you know, mention some other movies that bother you. Inaccuracies, uh, mistakes that made it to the final cut, and not like cheesy kind of fun mistakes that don't really ruin the movie, like The Last Samurai's horse kicking the extra in the balls. <laughs> That's just fun. So yeah, do that. And uh, until next time, I hope you got lucky tonight. Good night, nerds. Thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan and Carissa. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. And visit our podcast network site at beardedpodsnetwork.com.